There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I would let my children go. Absolutely not if I felt that they weren't safe. Businesses are suffering all over this. Surely an energy director has to look at these price rises and say, are these justified? You take the kids, we'll take the bags. The kindness in her words, you know, I felt the tears flow. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Good morning to you, Wednesday. It's cold, it's damp-ish. It's not quite as nice as it was the last couple of mornings. And they're telling us tonight another very, very cold night. But Alan at Carlo Weather was telling us that come the weekend, looks like an improvement. Hopefully the rain will hold off because we had an awful amount of rain so far in January the rain will hold off and we could get some nice relatively mild for the time of year weather after the weekend we might hold him to that now there's a man who's right far more often than he's wrong good morning to you uh, yesterday was the 16th the 17th of, of January 16th of January was the actual third anniversary of the death of Cameron Blair I, I remember being here on air the morning after and the, the activity, the Garda activity, was still ongoing. We were trying to piece together exactly what had happened. And it developed over the course of the next couple of days. One of the most horrific uh, local stories of the last number of years. A juvenile, uh, who can't be named, is serving a life sentence for killing Cameron. Uh, another teenager was uh, convicted of committing violent Disorder. It was a horrible, horrible incident. Uh, people were. It just happened in 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 a split second uh, at the door of a house in Bandon Road. And you all know the story and the upset and the concern and the concern about knife crime that arose as a result of it and the concern about knife crime that comes up time and time again uh, in Cork. And our Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Deirdre Ford, uh, joins me this morning. Deirdre, you have you called for a knife amnesty. You feel that there is such a situation ongoing now with knife crime that you've called for a knife amnesty. Morning. 
Good morning, PJ. Yes, and it's a very sad story for Cameron Blair. Uh, it's one that pulls their heartstrings whenever his anniversary comes up. And uh, my sympathies to the family, his family and his friends. And also, you know, anybody who has been a victim of knife crime or any crime. I visited um, some of them before Christmas and, you know, the consequences of 15 seconds of madness ruins lives both for the victims and both for the perpetrators. So I believe that we need to do something. We start, we have to start getting tougher. Yeah. Do we have, I know you talk constantly with the Gardaí, for example, at the policing committee. Do we have a serious knife crime problem? Um, Obviously, anecdotally we do. People will tell you that we do. But officially, do we have a serious knife crime problem? Well, like, what's too much of a problem? One person's life ruined with a knife or one person's life lost is one too many. And I think that in the latter number of years, there is a greater proliferation of people having knives. And, of course, with drink or drugs or rouse, then there's greater potential to do terrible damage. So I believe that we must nip it in the bud and we must call for an amnesty and and you know an amnesty is where you can bring the knives or any implements and hand it into a guard station or to these bins uh, you know they can be placed in strategic positions yeah. they're very secure and I think that it would draw awareness and people start discussing about the the, the dangers of carrying knives nobody who's carrying a knife wants to peel a potato you know that kind of a knife they're not doing it to peel potatoes or anything like that. That's a very fair point. You know, they're setting out, if, if there's a row in mind, that they can protect themselves, number one, which is, you know, understandable, but it's not a, it's not a safe way to respond. And the second thing is uh, they're out to take revenge. Or, and as has often happened, people get into rows in the flash of the moment and they don't toll damage. I'm told as well that what they do is they take um, toothbrushes and they take blades and embed them in the toothbrushes, yeah. two of them, and they can do awful damage to people's flesh. So what I'd be calling for is that we have an amnesty, an official amnesty, in conjunction with the Gardaí, yeah. or I will go one step further and call for mandatory sentencing of five years for those caught with the knife. I'll come back to that, Lord Mayor. Uh, in a minute or two but let's look at the amnesty idea first and I'm reading about one that that is I think still ongoing uh, in Essex Uh, Essex police set up one in 2022 and I think it's ongoing and they put these bins up you could either come to a police station anonymously or you could go anonymously to a bin that's what you're thinking of that's what I'm thinking of. I mean, obviously, some people don't want to walk into a guard station, no questions asked, and hand their knives in there. So the bins might be uh, uh, another option. Um, but I mean, nobody would take any notice of them if they want to bring them in and hand them up. Now, we're not talking about a, a butter knife here. You know, we're talking about serious knives and flick knives, knives that are there that people feel they have to carry either for protection or to do damage. And any implement like that, 
there's many of them out there and there's no need for that and you know as I said the, the chances are if they get into a row um, you know instead of running away or walking away um, they start getting involved in a fracas and, and as well as that PJ we see what the Gardaí have to put up with uh, up and down the country. And, like, it must be horrific for the Gardaí to come across crimes like this where someone is dying or dead um, uh, as a result of being stabbed. And that's not what we want for our society or our community. So what can the council do, uh, Lord Mayor, t- to make sure that something like this happens? Well, you see, what I would be hoping is that, um, well, first of all, I intend contacting the Minister for Justice, uh, the Acting Minister for Justice, um, and ask him if he could have a discussion with Drew Harris, and that would permeate down to the local Gardaí here, and we would have a meeting to set it up. And actually, what they did in England, there was over 100,000 knives surrendered, and they made it into a sculpture, and they toured it into different cities to draw attention yeah. to the young people of how many were there and and how how it begins to become the norm. That's what we must impress upon people. It's too dangerous to be carrying them. You've no business asking for them. And as well as that, if somebody goes in to buy a knife, I believe they should show ID and they yeah. should give their name. Like the people that are convicted now or the people that are arrested, we'll say, they're very often young and their whole lives are blighted with this. So we need to be doing something. Like you never get over something as dreadful as as the loss of uh, a young person's life. Mm. It's horrendous. I think that we have to start, uh, you know, looking at the wider picture of our community Mm -hmm. and seeing what's necessary and starting the conversation. I do believe we should get tougher. Uh, As I was, you know, saying earlier, five years for carrying a knife and mandatory and 10 years if you use a knife on another individual. And there should be no exceptions and no excuses. Deirdre, you have about six months left in, in office as Lord mm-hmm. Mayor. Would you would you like to have achieved this or at least get the ball rolling on it before you step oh, down? Oh, I would love it, PJ. I would love it. I have been trying for some time now and I know some of my predecessors have been calling for uh, the Commissioner to come down, Drew Harris. But, I mean, I, what matters to me more is that we would have the roundtable discussions facilitated by an independent person with clear strategies to come out of it you know what are we doing this year what needs to be done for three years what needs what's the outcome for five years we want to have our streets safe we want to protect our businesses and we want to deter younger people and even older people from a life of crime and ruining their lives forever ruining their families lives forever not to mention the poor victims who must stay front and centre of all this Lord Mayor, thank you for talking to us today. Thank you, PJ. Cheers. So there's a, a thinking point or a talking point for us this morning. Three years on from the horrific death of Cameron Blair and any time we've opened our phones here to knife crime stories at small scale or large scale, there's a lot of it out there. George says in some countries, from my memory, he says in Sweden, I think, but you, anyway, you need a license to carry a knife. Uh, like, say, you're a driver 
or a chef or some kind, a chef, for example, uh, they should bring that in here. Um, now, I, I like what the Lord Mayor says there. She says, I made a note of it. She said, anyone who's walking around Oliver Plunkett Street or Patrick Street or anywhere uh, at one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday with a knife in their pocket, well, they're not going out to peel spuds. That's, that's not their intention. So if you're walking around town or walking around any part of our city or county with a knife in your pocket, you're not doing it to peel spuds. You're not going to peel spuds. If you're caught carrying a knife, the Lord Mayor would like a five-year mandatory sentences, sentence for carrying of a knife or a shank, as I think they called them, in, in the prison, this is the toothpaste, the toothbrush with the blades, the Stanley blades cut into the head of it. They're savage implements. If you're caught around town with any kind of a knife or a, a shank or anything like that, five years just for having it, says the Lord Mayor, and t- ten years should you try to use it on anybody. But in the meantime, she also wants to give an amnesty where you can bring that implement and put it in the bin securely and and no one will question you and no one will ask you where you got it and no one will ask you what you're doing with it, that there'd be an amnesty. Just dump the stuff. What would you think about that? The the amnesty is one thing. That's, that's, you're you're opposed to that or you're in favour of it, whatever. I can't see how anyone would be opposed to it, but there you have it. But the idea that if you're caught with a knife... On Saturday night in Marlborough Street, between two pubs, if you're stopped by the guards and they happen to find you carrying a knife, five years, slam, gone, five years. If you should happen to use that knife on anybody, ten years, slam, gone. For example, if you should happen to pull a knife on a bus driver, slam, gone, ten years. No questions asked. Ten years. Dennis said knife amnesties are ongoing in countries across Europe. Uh, You don't think our Lord Mayor thought up the idea? No, she's just calling for it. Amnesties don't work, though. The war on drugs and weapons is a lost battle a long time ago in every country. But whatever about drugs, you have to keep trying for stuff like knives and guns. But the floor is open. Let's The amnesty is one thing, whether there should be an opportunity for people to come and dump their knives. That's one thing. But if you're caught with one, wandering down the mall at one in the morning, stumbling a bit, and you're caught with a knife, or stopped and searched for some reason and caught with a knife, five years, slammer, gone. If you should happen to pull that knife on anybody, 10 years, gone. No matter who you are, where you come from. And none of this fluting around with hand-wringing barristers and social workers and probation officers talking about your childhood and talking about your alcoholic mother who beat your father and that's why you're carrying a knife. No, get rid of that crack. Get rid of that now nonsense. Knife in the poker, five years in the slammer. Pull out the knife, 10 years. Use it on a bus driver, 10 years. Speaking of bus drivers, uh, there's a real fear among bus drivers now. A genuine fear 
that one of them is going to be killed. We'll go there next. 0818 96 96 96. <laughs> The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. Tonight from 8 on Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. All this week I'm providing you with your nighttime soundtrack with music from Taylor Swift, Joel Corey and these guys. Hey, this is Picture This. Plus I'll be getting up to date on everything happening in the world with the Hit Mix Fix and we round out the show with your good news news. Join me tonight from 8 on Cork's 96 FM. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, there's no one saying that uh, Lord Mayor Deirdre Ford invented the concept of a knife amnesty. No, she most certainly didn't. It's been tried in, in many places with varying levels of success, but she just reckons it's time for one here. But more than the amnesty, she's looking for mandatory sentencing. Five years for carrying a knife and ten years for actually pulling it on someone. Ed, there was a, a story in the papers there in the last few days and Gary Reen, if you're listening, because you drive the 220 route, I think you might still be on it. And I'm sure I'd know you to see if you were to wave to me. I'd love to talk to you. Gary was driving uh, between Cork City and Crosshaven, the 220, last July on a Saturday night uh, when a crowd of about 100 people gathered around the vehicles. There was kids and teenagers and 20-somethings, and they were trying to push their way onto the bus and push away tourists and push away locals and Gary was at the stop in Crosshaven and as soon as the door opened they were piling on he went on to describe in the examiner what happened one young fellow ran onto the bus jumping queues and pushing people aside Gary told him get off and he got a box to the side of the head and he has a damaged eardrum as a result of that, it's not healed yet. He couldn't go swimming with his children last year. Now he wears earplugs in the shower. He's still not over it. He also told of an incident where he refused three men entry to a bus near the courthouse in Christmas 2021. They were drunk and it took three quarters of an hour for security to get to him, to get them off his bus. Uh, he's not... He's not his own, or he's not, he's not on his own. There's another colleague on the Grand Parade, knocked out cold, hit with a bottle or hit with a bag of bottles, and he refused someone a cigarette. Horrific stories. The story of Andrea, which is not her name, but she has told the story. I remember covering it here, and it was a colleague of hers came forward to speak to us at the time, who was active within the union, to told us about the incident which happened in Halloween, on or on Halloween, a few years ago, where she was literally surrounded and threatened, well, the 220 again, threatened with rape, for goodness sake. This is Halloween 2019. 80 teenagers, some of them armed, presumably with knives, held her there for an hour and a half. She was terrified, absolutely terrified. Dermot O'Leary of the National Bus and Rail Union, uh, your, your members are convinced it's only a matter of time before one of them is seriously injured or worse. Am I right? Good morning. Uh, look, yeah, good morning, PJ, and one of your listeners. Look, unfortunately, look, and again, it's one of those predictions that you hope is never right. Uh, 
you know, but unfortunately, because of some of the, the, the stuff you outlined there, and again, it's look, we've been on here speaking about this many, many times over the last number of years, and I suppose what's concerning is that you mentioned Gary's story, you mentioned Andrea's story. Andrea was very powerful at our conference there recently in, in Cork, uh, where she mm-hmm. you know gave testimony to her experience back in Halloween nine, uh, 2019, uh, and um, a lot of the media that were there, uh, your own station was there as well, were horrified at the, the, the graphic details she was able to outline, and she was pretty, pretty upset if you remember that day. Uh, certainly what concerns us in relation to the 220 which you, you say you use yourself is that only over the last number of days been reported in local media that there's concerns and I'm sure I know the area pretty well there's concerns in relation to gather resources at Carrigan Line mm-hmm. so well things are going to get a lot worse unfortunately so that prediction probably will come to pass again unfortunately but again it's only systematic of what's happening uh, not alone in Cork but across the whole country and again that article in the examiner picked up from our conference and covered a number of issues subsequent to that. Uh, it does illustrate that for as far away as Navin, you know, there was a time, I suppose, PJ, that, you know, the antisocial behaviour, as we like to call it, maybe we should change that and just call it what it is, which is thuggery and crimin- yeah. criminality. And criminality. Uh, you know, it's it's one time it was confined to large urban areas like Cork, like Dublin. Uh, after that, you wouldn't find anywhere else. Now it's prevalent across the whole country. And I, I accept that there's a societal issue around this type of behaviour, but that doesn't excuse it or shouldn't make it or minimalise it either for that matter. You know what I mean? So, look, there, there are many, you know, strands to trying to resolve this. Um, we've been calling for a dedicated guard of Transport Division for quite a while. The resources are not there yet. And I suppose what's significant about that is that the politicians who come out and support us, you know, if you rang a few this morning, they'd be all on here. Support, like an name all in support, no problem. Yeah. But when it comes to legislating for it in the dial, which, and by the way, PJ, we don't believe that uh, primary legislation is needed here at all. We believe a statutory instrument from the minister would do here. Really? And if it's a case that the resources are not there, we, well, we believe that, yeah, we looked at that and we believe that. But and if it's a case the resources are not ready yet, then tell us that and tell us that you are going to set it up when the resources become available. In the meantime, we can try and plug the gap and, or try and what, to bridge the exactly gap. exactly would you be talking about Dermot and as I say as you said I am very familiar with the 220 and I'm, I, I take it all hours of the day and night to be quite honest with you and I have taken it home at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning um, thankfully without incident but are you talking about a guard sitting there in that single seat say behind the driver for the duration of the route is that what you're talking about? Well, look, I mean, there's practicalities involved here, as you know. Well, people no, that, will know the answer. That's just the picture of people forming their look, heads, you know. Look, there, there are times, although one of the instances you mentioned about a driver getting knocked out cold was 6 o'clock on the Grand Parade, 6 o'clock, which is tea time to all of us back in the day, it still is. Yeah. So, but I mean, generally speaking, there are times when, when we all know, the Guardian included, when uh, the trouble is, is like the rear of its head and what you won't have a guard on every bus or indeed every train for that matter certainly you could have a situation where first of all if it exists in the first place then the threat of a sanction uh, court appearance and all that kind of stuff could deter an awful lot of it it won't totally eliminate it but certainly would deter it so, but certainly in, in certain times of the day you would expect the guard uh, to be present on, on, on buses uh, and that would as I said you know I, I know some people these days don't have respect for guard but generally speaking people still do so it would be preventative in, in, in its own right uh, PJ mm. you, you mentioned that the, the, the sanction sanction doesn't seem to exist Dermot and I say this without fear of favour one of the reasons that these little buggers are doing it is they know there's no sanction they know they'll get away with it you're powerless well, here's the problem here's the problem PJ like a lot of laws unfortunately uh, they're given a lot of them are given Christian names around people who unfortunately met their death in some cases we're going to end up in a situation here where there's going to be a law passed in this country on the back of someone 
uh, getting seriously injured or unfortunately uh, getting killed in the line of duty whether that be a transport worker a guard themselves an ambulance worker you know frontline workers and we've been calling in the MBIU for quite a while along with other colleagues in frontline services for mandatory sentences around assaults on, on frontline uh, personnel again the government is slow to react the government again and again it's important and I've said this many times PJ on your own show we have three senior government ministers three senior government ministers in Corkso Central alone all heavy hitters on their own right living along the 220 route Dermot well, well you tell you have it that's not taking away from the you know, from the impact being made like by, I know but let, let's, like, let's, let's focus on that as I say one, one Corkman to another Dermot three yeah, members yeah. of the cabinet living along yeah. the 220 route well, 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 there you go. And, and I suppose, look, again, the people listening to the show this morning that live along that route and live in that consistency are well able to articulate their views, uh, I suppose, uh, quite often around the election time. But again, I mean, the one thing about politics in this country, PJ, is that people are able to interact with the politicians. We criticise them, but we do have access to them through yes. the consistency offices and through personal relationships. So I'm appealing to people to have those conversations. So again, the dedicated Gallup Public Transport Division won't solve it on its own. There's a lot of stuff, has to, a lot of interventions, a lot of good work being done by youth workers and, and and people in the community a lot of good work being done we, we shouldn't dismiss that I was in West Halla in Dublin yesterday morning where there was very high profile around uh, restrictions and services up there and we've been telling people in West Halla who feel a bit aggrieved because their area has been highlighted that th- this issue is going to be across the country we're going to have members of ours and members of other trade unions are going to be withdrawing services on the basis of this type of action I mean enough is enough because what we're talking about here PJ let's be honest is people's workplace I'm sitting in my car now talking to you as part of my work. I, I'm, I'm travelling from A to B. You're sitting in your office. The people we're talking about, the Gary's of this world, the Andrews of this world, they sit in the bus. They're, that's their workplace. So, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, people should really sit and just understand that. You know, that they're facing that every day. Going, yeah, no, what, what's yeah, going to happen today? Is that going to happen? There's a, there's a thing, Dermot, that, that you put your finger on there now. I mean, there were so much, there were books of legislation written about health and safety at work. That is Andrea's workplace. That is Gary's workplace. They are both entitled to health and safety protection. There's a reality. Look, the one thing I just, one of the things I said, one, many things and lots of things, but one of the things I've discovered about this country, and it has its good points as well as its bad points, let's be honest, but we're very good at writing legislation. We're very good at putting laws in place. We're not very good at policing those laws or implementing those laws. That's one thing where we fall down, I believe. Dermot, just before I let you go, the idea of these bus rapid transport characters, uh, corridors, rubber, Lewis on rubber wheels, as it were. Yeah, look, I, again, we've been pretty strong on this for quite a while now. Bus rapid transport, BRT, was, was all the buzz back in around 2011, 2012 when the NTA first came on the scene. I, I should say this, and talking about politicians just in the last few minutes, politicians by their nature love rail, whether it's light rail or heavy rail. And the reason they love it, I believe, is they get three or four election cycles out of it. So they can knock PJ's door along the 220 route there and say, it's a light rail coming to you, we've committed to it in the program of government. And two elections later, they're saying the same thing. Whereas BRT, a bus rapid transit, with its own dedicated road space, now it's the lowest on rubber as you say right it takes about a year and a half two years for completion which is in within one government cycle it, it totally the cost of, of, of the light rail by the way the estimated cost for the light rail in Carcass I understand it through the CMAS plan is 545 million 
Now, again, we know about budget overruns in this country and capital uh, capital projects. 545 will probably be a billion at some stage. Uh, and again, I made a comment a number of years ago at a previous conference, and, and, and flippantly probably, that you have a better chance of seeing the Lewis and Carlton. You have seen Elvis in the exhibition centre in Beamish's. Uh, and again, the reality is the reality is that the bus rapid transit, a third of the cost, two years to turn around. And again, here's here's something for the, the three heavy hitters in the South Central. It's in the programme for government, uh, uh, PJ, yeah. that they should look at BRT for the regional cities. BRT bus rapid transit. So yeah. I think politicians should be challenged. Again, people like the notion of a Lewis or Cork. So I love a Lewis and Cork. Are we going to get it? Not in my lifetime. Does that make me old? It doesn't. I'd say my own young fellow who's 16 years of age might struggle to see it. Yeah. Never mind me. You, you, so you, let, you made a very good point, let, though, a very good political point there. There are votes in promising railway. But delivering the buses... Just three elections minimum. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good point. It's, mind you, at this stage now, they're running out of, of vote catching on the convention centre. I wouldn't... Be, uh, we, we haven't seen a convention centre in nearly 10 years, Dermot. Well, 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 I won't be asking a certain Fine Gael Minister anything about that. If I was anyone, anyone close by him at this stage, I wouldn't be asking him at least. Whatever about all the other right. two. Good, good, good to catch up, Dermot. And uh, my regards to all of the staff all of the drivers on our buses uh, across Cork City doing a great job in tough circumstances. Thank you, Dermot O'Leary, uh, gaffer at the National Bus and Rail Union, and a Corkman, which means he knows this area very well. He knows the 220 very well. We three, well, OK, Michal Martin doesn't actually live on the 220 route, but he lives very, very close to it. But Simon Coveney and Michael McGrath both live on the route of the 220. Uh, we've 28 guards assigned in Carrigaline, says Kate. We need more of a presence. Thanks for that number. There's a thing, though. When is the actual Garda station open in Carrigaline? Like, if I'm down there this afternoon and I need a guard, is there a guard in the station? Is the station actually open? PJ Simon Harris is in charge of our safety. Sure, he failed us in health. Not saying much now for our safety. The guards need to get into school and talk to young fellas about knives, says Liz. We've been warning our grandchild for years never to get involved in anything like that. Martin, PJ, give them five years. But put them where, bud? There's four prisoners in two man cells in every prison. You saw this yourself years ago in Ratmore Road. Nothing has changed. It's too lenient, the, the sentencing in this country. There should be no time off for good behaviour. A minimum 20 years for rape and get rid of perks while they're in prison too. Yeah, there's loads in on on knives. Does the Lord Mayor not realise, says Paul, that most knives used in attacks are taken from the kitchen drawer as the person leaves the house or in an argument at the house? You know, Paul, you're right. You're, you're quite right. I remember the Judge Paul Carney, the late Judge Paul Carney, giving a lecture at UCC where he talked about that. That in the old days, he said, people would solve their differences with the fist, which wasn't to be recommended, but at least it generally wasn't fatal. Now one of them goes home, gets a knife out of the drawer, and before you know it, we're in the Central Criminal Court. Well, thank you, Paul. 0818 96 96 96. says, anyone can get a knife anywhere, anytime. So it's ridiculous to ask for an amnesty. Jail anyone carrying a knife for 12 months. Anyone that uses it, minimum five years, and murder, life. And life meaning life. Life meaning not let out. Yeah. 
I didn't read too far into this, but I heard about it, Tim. I must dig out uh, a link. If they can find a link to that story, Fergal, to be handy. Uh, I haven't actually had a chance to look at it, although I heard it being discussed on radio. Can Jim O'Callaghan be taken seriously, saying that the fitness levels for Garda hopefuls is too high? There's plenty of fit and able people out there, no shortage. I'd certainly want Gardaí to be super fit in this day and age. Go back, Jim, to browsing the law library. Tim, I'd love to read that one, but it would appear, from what Tim says and what I was hearing yesterday, just in passing, that Jim O'Callaghan, who is, by the way, one of the people that might one day be leader of Fianna Fáil, if he, if he had his way about it, he thinks that the fitness levels required for guards or people wanting to go into the guards is too high. Now, I'm sorry, but if that's what he's saying, that's, that's BS. You want your fittest and your strongest and your leanest and, and your most flexible going into the guards. In the army, they train them that way. Fitness training in the army is murderous. From anyone that's ever been there, I tell you that. I, I don't know if it's the same in the guards. There's been a crash uh, around the Carrigaline area. Ken Perrett. There was an accident on Cars Hill. It's just before you get to where the roadworks are at Mount Oval. Uh, long queues in both directions. One lane is completely blocked and there's no guards on the scene yet. They're on the phone waiting for the guards as we speak. So it's going to be busy for a little while. Cars Hill coming in and out of Carrigaline. There's a lot going on in that area at the moment in terms of roadworks. Thank you, Ken. Now, yesterday we were listening to Stephanie's story of living with obsessive-compulsive disorder. And she said that even though her health now is a lot better than it was, she's in a much better place than she ever was, she still spends time every day struggling to avoid walking to the sink. Because if she goes to the sink, she'll start washing again. If she goes to the shower, she'll start showering again. And this is a woman who, this time last year, maybe the year before, was washing her hands until they bled and then emptying hand sanitizer onto them. Like the thoughts of it alone. And she was telling us about how she is now. And she came across a treatment called EMDR, which is Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. No, I'd never heard of it before either. Now, Stephanie said that she didn't actually have it. The person that she went to does it. She had different kind of therapy. But I wanted to find out what it is and, and how it might work with someone with OCD. Gus Murray is the president of the EMDR Association. Morning, Gus. Good morning, PJ. And you've been listening to Stephanie's interview. We sent you the recording. I sure have. I was very impressed. A very powerful interview. Yeah. What is EMDR? Hmm. Well, in the briefest way I can put it, it's a modern therapy uh, developed at the end of the 1980s. An American psychologist, Francine Shapiro, She happened upon it. She herself had been diagnosed with cancer. She was walking in the park and started to have disturbing thoughts and feelings. And instead of trying to push them away, she noticed that when she paid attention to them, they became less disturbing. 
But of more importance was she also noticed that when that was happening, her eyes started to move horizontally back and forth. And then she started to experiment with doing this intentionally. And she discovered that by paying attention to disturbing experiences and moving your eyes horizontally back and forth, the disturbance level decreased. And so she brought this to the attention of her peers and colleagues and the search for an an explanation then came about. What was fortunate for it was that it coincided with the development of in a lot of the developments in modern neuroscience that understands that actually traumatic experiences, when they happen to us, get stored in the brain and in the body. Mm. And they get locked in their own networks and they are inaccessible at a certain level. And But the problem is they get triggered again and again and again and they're, they're lived out. So, for example, uh, PJ, uh, the simplest way to make this concrete is I would be familiar with many people who have traumatic experiences, yeah. uh, road traffic accidents and uh, muggings and uh, burglaries or various things. Yeah. And you, you and I spoke before, didn't we, Gus, about frontline workers during the pandemic and the trauma they we went through. That's where we, t- we talked before, yeah. We did indeed. Um, so the, the, um, what, what I'm saying then is that, <clears throat> so I'll, I'll meet somebody who has had a very unfortunate, say, road traffic accident where there was a fatality, and the person uh, is, has suffered a, a huge reaction themselves. So they're having flashbacks, as we call them, to the event. They're intrusive. The person is in a state of they're hard to live with. They don't sleep well. They're agitated. And they start to um, push them away because that's the only way to survive. And what EMDR does then is it helps the person to bring those up to the surface with support from a therapist. And once we get them into this kind of mode where they can be supported in the present, access the memory in the past, and then using this bilateral stimulation, the movement, eye movements back and forth horizontally, and um, the, the, what happens in the first instance is that the, fee, the the anxiety and the disturbance starts to come down, and then they can start to reposition themselves in a more adaptive way for living in the world. So it, it's a very active therapy in the sense that the person is assisted to actually visit with the material that's locked away, help it to come out of hiding, and integrate it with their functioning in their daily living. Okay, so what I'm taking from that, Gus, is that, thank you for the detail, so something causes, and we don't want to specify on Stephanie now, but in in general terms, something causes a trauma, a trauma causes a reaction, the reaction changes the person's life, and this therapy teaches them to A, recognise the trauma, and B, know when the trauma is affecting their life, and then most importantly, teaches them an exercise to ease that situation. Have I summed it up there? Yes, except one one positive, hopeful thing beyond that is that it doesn't just tell, teach them exercises to manage it. It actually cleans it. Okay. 
Okay. So it, it the trauma will always so, be there. I'm, I'm fascinated by that now, Gus. The trauma will always be there. You can't untrauma something. So how do you okay. how do you make it go away? So let me explain that because that, that what you've just said is a vital thing. Trauma is not what happened in the past. Trauma is the res- residue of what happened in the past that's still active in the person's life now. Okay. So what we can do is we can actually resolve the impact that the trauma has retained, has remained to have in the person's life. So the event will always be there. You're absolutely right. The memory will be there, but the enduring effect of the trauma can be and is actually with the research is clearly showing that the enduring effect of it can and is resolved through the use of EMDR. All things being equal, and there are many, you know, little variations around that. But in general, what I'm saying is it's not just a way of helping people to cope with the trauma. It is actually a way of helping people to resolve the trauma. Right. And the recognition is that the car crash or or whatever it was that was the trauma, or maybe the house fire, whatever it was that caused the trauma, we can, we can't unring that bell, but we can no. change its resonance, as it were. We can change the enduring effect that it has when it stores itself in the brain and in the body and in the emotions. We can release that and uh, bring it out of its, uh, you know, bring it out of its hiding place and help it, the person to integrate with their functioning, capable life today. Gus, how did you get into this work? Well, I'm doing therapy now, PJ, for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I started as a general psychotherapist back in the late 1980s, mm-hmm. and um, I have been gradually doing it ever since. And I heard about EMDR. I, I have a kind of a curiosity about me. I was I, I taught psychotherapy at the Cork Institute of Technology for about 25 years, so I was constantly trying to update the uh, models as they were arriving and I heard about this so I went off and trained about it Uh, the first training was done here in Cork and I went on from that and trained in the UK and then I went on from there to become a supervisor and a trainer in EMDR and so on Uh, we have a huge international uh, footprint about 40 European countries and so on so it's it's a it's a very big it's a it's a very fast-growing therapy, probably the fastest growing therapy in the world. And it's an accessible form of therapy. There were, there were practitioners out there. Do you mind me yeah. asking a question? Were you at one point a priest? I was, absolutely. <laughs> and were you, and with, I, were I, you I, at I, one point the, the, the chaplain to Skullcrease 3? Kolosh to Crease 3, Young Capwell Road, PJ. <laughs> and you, you were a pupil there. <laughs> I knew I remembered your voice, Gus. Yes. There you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, thank you so much. And people can Google EMDR and, and, they'll, and they'll find out more. That's Gus Murray. Uh, he is the president of the EMDR Association uh, here in Ireland. Uh, was on with us before talking about trauma among frontline workers and how, how he deals with it and how his colleagues deal with it. I knew his voice back then and I just had to ask him. He was the chaplain one time in my school. God. 0818 96 96 96. There's been a crash near Glanton, uh, coming from Glenmire near the Glanton United pitch. Gardaí on scene. A bus involved. We hope that nobody.
is injured there. 0818 96 96 96. Are you ready? Cork's 96FM loves Irish music. As part of Irish Music Month this March on independent radio across Ireland, we want you to take part in our local hero talent search. If you're in a band or solo artist, you could be featured live on Cork's 96FM. It's your chance to win an overall €10,000 prize fund. Get your record released and have your music played on 25 independent radio stations across Ireland. For full details, see 96FM.ie. Irish Music Month this March. Proudly supported by Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund on Cork's 96FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96966966966966966666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666
yeah, and on my face, my hair, anywhere I was putting it, I was putting it on because I wanted to feel clean. And no, it destroyed my skin. No, my skin is okay now, but it was destroying my skin. My skin was all dried out. But if it wasn't stinging me, I wasn't happy because I was like, okay, I'm still dirty. It needs to sting to make sure it's working. Um, yeah, I, I used to that after every shower. I used sanitize during the day. But especially before I go to bed at night, I couldn't go into bed at night unless I had completely covered myself in sanitizer. And then I could put on my night clothes or then if my night clothes touched off something coming up the hall, right, I have to uh, I have to change my night clothes. And my night clothes, I could go up and down the hall about 10 times because I, I'd have to keep changing my night clothes until I went down the hall that time and washed my hands without actually touching off anything coming up. So what a terrible way to live. What an awful way to live. She described it as a bully in her head. It's an invisible bully, basically. It's a bully that's in your head. Um, and yeah, I was aware of it and I was aware that this was going on. I was aware this isn't right. If this was happening to my other, my brothers and sisters, if it was happening to anybody that I knew, I'm like, that's not right. I tell them to, you know, Les, you have to get to grips with this. But my mind, it, it was telling me other things. It was telling me, no, you have to clean. You have to clean to feel right. An invisible bully in your head. What a great way of putting it. Like I said, we had a few responses to Stephanie. Tilly says, I was listening to Stephanie. My OCD started when I was nine. My hands seized up and started bleeding. I couldn't even move them. I'm 99% better now, but Stephanie is fantastic for speaking out. She has no idea how much she'll help others by speaking out. I think that was part of Stephanie's whole reason for doing interviews like she did with me uh, the other day because she wants to know, she wants people to know that there is help out there and there is a way to get through this. 0818969696. Now we had a development overnight in the tragic case of the man whose body was found in a, a house in North Cork. He's been identified now as a Kerryman who had moved to the property after he came back from the UK, originally, I think, from Cahar Saivine. Is that right? Maureen Tui joins me from the, the newsroom. Cahar Saivine, Maureen, good morning. That's, that's it, PJ. Good morning to you. Yeah, so Tim O'Sullivan is the name. He was a native of Cahar Saivine in County Kerry, and he'd lived for many years in the UK as well before moving back to Ireland, and that's where he was living on, on Beecher Street in Mallow. And uh, as we know, the, the remains were found on Friday by two Cork County Council staff when they went in to inspect the property. And it was uh, yesterday that the Gardaí used uh, dental records and DNA in order to identify Mr O'Sullivan. And I understand it was a dentist that he'd been attending in Mallow that they, 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 there was a match up there with the, the records and that is how they managed to identify him. What do we know about him? So as I say, we, we know that he was uh, a native of Carisivine in, in Kerry and that he'd lived uh, in the UK for a time and then uh, moved back to Ireland. And I understand that, um, you know, locals were of the belief that he may have been returning back to the UK. And, and as far as I'm aware, he'd spent some time in St. Stephen's Hospital in Glanmire as well. And he was there for treatment. I see. I see. And the house was boarded up eventually. Um, presumably for health and safety reasons, and they didn't know he was inside it because they weren't entitled to enter it because it was a private dwelling. That's that's pretty much the size of it. But now he's been identified. And the search now is for his relatives, I take it, Moirad. 
said, say to inform his, his relatives and to, uh, to to let them know. And then there'll be um, a file prepared for the coroner's court in North Cork for an inquest. And it's understood that that inquest could be held later this year. All right. Thank you for that. That's Maureen Twig from the Cork's 96FM newsroom. He has family in Cahar Sabine in County Kerry. We understand they have been been notified. Questions were being asked as to how you'd board up a house without checking what was going on inside. Well, first of all, if it's a privately owned dwelling, as this was, you can't just wander inside without the consent of the owner. Uh, If there's a health and safety issue, you would write to the owner. Of course, the owner is dead in bed. You'd write to the owner, but even if you can't, then contact the owner, and there is a health and safety issue. You can board up the house so people can't get in but you yourself can't actually enter. And then after a period of time, you must put up a notice, and that was put up, a county council notice about the safety and the state of the building. And you have to give that a period of time. It it used to be seven years and a day. I'm not too sure whether that's changed. You can't touch the house. The council had no authority to enter that house. They could board it up from the outside for safety reasons, but they had no authority to enter it. So poor old Tim is lying dead inside. The ho- they didn't know. They had no way of knowing. They couldn't go in. The house had to be boarded up for safety reasons and then a notice put on it that it had been boarded up for safety reasons. If then, only after a period of time can you move on it and then they compulsorily purchased it and, and all of that and they came in and they entered it last Friday and we now know the story. It was Tim O'Sullivan and originally from Cahar Saivine, been in the UK, understood from another newspaper report, he, he spoke with an English accent. He had, as Maureen said, quite an amount of difficulty with his mental health and spent time in St. Stephen's. And he was a reclusive character, known as a very quiet man, something of a troubled individual, I think. And when he didn't turn up, he didn't wasn't seen around after in 2001, People thought he'd gone back to the UK, where he'd come from, or they thought that maybe he was in hospital. In fact, the poor devil was dead inside in the house. But the one thing for sure we now know, after Dr. Bolster did her PM, or her autopsy at the weekend, was that there was no foul play involved, and there was nothing suspicious about the nature of his death. Which That at least is peace for his relatives. You'd wonder as well how relatives of a man like that would just lose track of him. They must have been frantically worried about him. Imagine being related to a man like that and you know he has a bit of trouble in his life and, and has you know his mental health is bothersome and he just disappears off the planet and you've no way of finding him and you, and you go and you find his house boarded up maybe or did they search for him? That's the next chapter I guess and I suppose we will hear that at the inquest when it comes up towards the end of the year or probably the second half of the year at this stage. 0818 96 96 96 Back to knife crime uh, Phil on WhatsApp voice message 0833969696. Hi PJ, you can talk all day about knife crime and put people to jail if they have a knife in their possession or if they use the knife or whatever. But realistically, there's no room in the jails. So that's another problem that needs to be solved. That's a fair point, Phil. The jails are pretty full. Also, James, James Toomey from the Boys and Girls in Nocca was making this particular point about an ad he saw on Facebook. 
Today I have here with me an M48 Cyclone, the most lethal knife in the world, and I'll show you exactly why. Just look. Let's open it. You are already seeing its format. Let's take this plastic out. I've seen that there's the thing to break the You can the find that ad on Facebook. Here. And this one here is a powerful one. You can buy this that knife on Facebook. Here we have its sheet. And look at its twisted blade. Why is this blade so lethal? Your 14-year-old can see that ad on Facebook and buy that knife. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Here's the thing to think about. i come to it in a minute. Should you watch your children's weight in the same way as you'd watch their speech development, in the same way as you'd watch the development of their eyesight, the development of their walking skills, all those things. Should you watch your weight the same way to make sure that they're not destined for a life of obesity and weight concerns? Because the American Academy of Pediatrics thinks that we should. I'll come to that. But yesterday we were talking about college and talking about medical students in particular and whether or not at the end of their time in college and their qualification in hospital when they've done their intern year, should young doctors then be compelled to spend three years working in the HSE to bring keep them in, in our hospital system and keep the hospital system ticking over rather than, <clears throat> as we know a lot of them do now, heading straight for the airport. It's a topic of Discussion, and I got a, a message back from, from a doctor uh, last night about it, which I will read to you in a while. But we also had people saying, no, if I'm paying for my youngsters to go through college, then it's up to them what they do after that. We pay for kids to go through college. We pay a lot of money, thousands of euro, to put our kids through college, and it's up to them to decide what to do afterwards. And no, you shouldn't be compelling them and it cost my kids a whole lot. Then we got this in. <laughs> and I, I'm going to read it and let it with you for what it's worth. What do people mean when they say it costs them thousands to put their children through college? They don't pay fees in this country, only registration. I know it costs a lot for accommodation. I've put four children through college myself. And we don't even earn 50 grand gross between us. What people are saying is deceiving. My children went abroad by choice. All young people want to travel, but I agree they should have to work here for a year or two to give back. In other countries, they pay fees. There's a thought. I'll come to what my doctor friend said a little bit later in in the programme. He is opposed to it. Uh, And I'll tell you about that after. 0818-969696. So the American... Academy of Pediatrics has issued new guidelines on weight in children and teenagers and adolescents and watching their weight. And it's saying that they should proactively be evaluated and treated from as young an age as necessary. And that we effectively as parents should watch our children's weight in the same way that we would watch their eyesight, their other development milestones. It points out that one in five children in the US are living with obesity. That's from the Centers for Disease Control 
and prevention. And it says pediatricians should screen children for obesity and screen children with obesity regularly just to keep an eye on them. It says that overweight and obesity should be treated like a chronic condition and parents might need to see their doctor with their child on a regular basis for that. It also says, of course, that there should be a kind of a mindfulness and an awareness taught to children so that they will cook and eat more healthily and that we teach our children to cook and eat more healthily. So, not a controversial report, but it's, a, it's an eye-opening report. Uh, Suzanne, you were tweeting that, that you agree with a lot of what's said in it. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, it's, uh, yes, some may say it's controversial, and I would think that that comes from the fact that people, there is a stigma um, that has been attached to being overweight or underweight, and there's the fear of eating disorders. Now, we have to remember that eating disorders go both ways. So um, if somebody is very underweight, we would worry about them. Yeah. But likewise, we should worry about them if they're very overweight. Um, I mean, it is very clear that with being overweight, diseases such as type 2 diabetes, heart disease, depression are associated with it. And as a result, you know, these diseases can be prevented um, to some degree if weight is kept within the normal realms. Now, one thing that I would say about that particular um, research um, that you've been describing there is that they based it on the BMI. And the BMI is now seen to be a little bit controversial in itself. Yes. That there are other ways of measuring um, somebody's um, obesity or their weight, you know, their, whether they're underweight or not. Now, it would be best to speak to a nutritionist or a proper medical person about those. They'd be more, you know, au fait with it. But yes, I do agree with it because I think that children can be stigmatised from being overweight, you know, by their peers. And I think it's very important to involve the parents in it um, because really it's their leading the way with the children. It's their feeding the children. And it's very easy, you know, it's, it's very, it can be very difficult to say no to your child. But I think it's about how you manage that. And I think there is a lot of health support. I know our health system is in a terrible state at the moment, but there are health supports there for this chronic issue. We're, we're always being told, though, of late, Suzanne, don't make your child conscious of their weight. Don't talk about weight around children. It's not healthy. You'll trigger an eating disorder. So we have to be desperately, desperately careful, don't we? We, we do, but I think, you know, there are ways, there are professionals now where it's not stigmatised the weight as such, more the positive health and more the positive behaviour is what would actually be concentrated Because we, we don't really want to go back to an Ireland where people used to say to each other, that child is fierce fat. Or, or do we? Do, do we need to be a bit more honest too? Well, I don't agree with fat shaming, hmm. but I do think that, you know, we have to acknowledge that it's an issue. There is, I mean, you know, Ireland is one of the, has the, one of the biggest problems worldwide with children, with childhood obesity. I mean, that's not doing any favours to our children. Yes. You know, so I think if it's medically guided, and I mean, there are nurses that are now very well qualified, there are plenty of nutritionists, you know, it's, it's about minding our children. We don't encourage underweightness. You know, we, yeah. don't, we, we would look out for that. 
you know. So likewise, I personally feel we should look out for overweight as well and try to guide towards positive health. Yeah. Not stigma, without stigma. Like children have a lot to deal with. Their weight shouldn't be something they have to worry about. I Yes, exactly. But I think you avoid dealing with that, with the child having to deal with it, in, depending on the age of the child, obviously, um, by asking the pa- you know, getting the parents very involved in it, whereby, okay, if it's, um, if it's a diet issue, that the parents, you know, that, you know, high waste uh, or high, high fat foods aren't and high sugar foods are not readily available at home. You know, that it's about education really for the parents more so than the child if it's a young child, Mm. you know, and that they're providing healthy diets that are high in fibre and protein and, um, you know, good carbohydrate, a well-balanced diet. You know the way a parent will say... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Well, you know, he, he only eats pizza and, or, or chicken nuggets or whatever. Well, you gave it to him. Or, or am I being unfair? I, no, I would agree, but it's very difficult for the parents. Very difficult for the parents. And I think that's where nowadays, there is, I'm saying that there are the supports there, um, nutritionists, and it's through behavioural therapy really as well mm. with the children is how it's worked at, so that it's not stigmatised. That's the big thing about it, yeah. that you have to have aware, you know, that they are children and that they're going to want what they can't have as well. So I suppose not filling the cookie jar every week, yes. you know? Yes, and not emptying it on demand either. Absolutely. I, I suppose it's Absolutely. fair to say we watch for a problem with a child's eyesight. We watch for a problem with a child's learning speech speech development. 
exactly. And if your child, if your child falls and if you think they've hurt their, hurt their arm, you bring them for an x-ray and you do what you're told with that. If your child isn't able to see the board, you bring them for an eye test and they may have to wear glasses or they may have to wear a patch on their eye for a certain length of time, which no child would want to do. Yeah. But it's just something that they have to do for their long-term health. And the experts seem to be telling us now that we need to pay as much attention to the child's weight and eating and dietary habits that we do to their eyesight or their hearing or their speech development. Because it is a chronic issue and it will lead, it's fact, we know it's fact, that it will lead to heart disease, to, as I said, type 2 diabetes. And also because we don't want to stigmatise it, but the facts are that the peers, you know... The peers may bully them for being overweight. We, nobody wants their child singled out, yes. you know, like that. So you're really, you know, you're protecting your child from that as well. Um, but it's really about positive health rather than the negative sides of it, I would think. But I do, I agree with, I agree with the, um, the US report their, and their evaluation. I think that it's, it should be, I think that should be more common. Um, that we view it that way because it is all very positive what that report said. One, like the key thing that they kept stressing is no stigma, no stigma. Just we have to watch our child's weight like we watch every other part of their development. Suzanne, we'll, we'll, we'll see what people think. It's, it's not an easy topic to discuss, but we'll no, see where it goes. it's not. But your point about the eyesight um, and things like that, that's, that to me is actually is PJ. That's, that is it. Suzanne, thank you. Thank you, PJ. Thanks. Cheers. Um, yeah. The, no, I, I don't necessarily mean that we should bat shame children. I, in fact, I think it's a horrible thing to do. There was a time, there was a time when someone would stand in front of a mother or a father and go, that child's going to be wicked fat. And we don't want to go back there either, but we do need to watch their weight and teach them to eat healthily. Kate? Hi, um, I'd just like to say maybe they could do it in a way of making fitness fun, mm. you know, and um, everybody's involved, and the person who is overweight, maybe they'll be given things that they can manage, and mm. they suddenly realise they're able to do it, mm. and, you know, by degrees, and uh, just bring it into every day, because in schools, nearly everything, they, if there's something that comes up, it's nearly always the gym class is cancelled. Yes, yes, be, that's that a good be, point. That should be every day. They should have some kind of fitness every day. And then, it, like they're talking about chicken nuggets and all that and pizzas, but you can make your own healthy pizzas. Do you well, know what I'm saying? Well, you can. You, you know what's on them. But the point that, that I was saying, make there, if, yeah, you can. But I'm thinking in terms of, right, do you want a slice of pizza or do you want some proper nutritious dinner? And the child will yeah. always opt for the pizza. But, they will, it, but, it, you but can the, make patient, the, the parent gives them the option. But yeah, but the pizza can be made healthy. Do you understand well, my can. point? Well, it can. Yeah. You can put on your own. You know, the way you get the base and then you can pick your own thing. Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah. And you know what I mean? So it's actually easy enough to do that. But just to bring the fitness into everyday life. Mm. It doesn't have to be tearing down the road, like. I know. But I know. just every day. What about the idea, though, that we would watch, like we'd watch speech development, we'd watch eyesight, we'd watch yep. out to see can the child hear properly, yep. their walking yep. development, that we'd watch yep. their weight 
as part of their development. Yeah, but you do it by, you know, having the fitness and it's not going to happen if they're moving around. You know what I'm saying? That's true. Yep. That's true. So there you are. Okay. Thank you, Kate. 0818969696. Okay, now we were very kind and, and very charitable the last couple of days. In fact, we rang someone back two or three times on day one and I think we rang them back a second time on day two. That's done now. No more Mr. Nice Guy. You'll get one go. And then I'll dial somebody else. So I want your texts and WhatsApps now to take part in Live Free in 23. Big long list of prizes there with Cork Credit Unions here for you always. There's 500 euro worth of hair and beauty. 500 euro worth of takeaways. This is the one that I'll be your best friend for. There's a golden ticket. It'll take you into every gig at Live at the Marquee. There's a thousand euro worth of fuel. Stick it in the car or put it into the home heating, whatever you want to do. And there's a credit union account with a grand in cash and your name on it. All of that and plenty more in our prize pack on Live Free in 23. So we're looking for someone. I'll call somebody in about three and a half minutes. Text to WhatsApp now, 083-396-9696. And when I call you, you must answer your phone with those specific words. I want to live free with Cork's 96 FM. Live free in 23. Oh my God! With Cork Credit Unions. Here for you always. Spending money. money. Cork's 96 FM. Right, day three. You have been warned now. We were very nice the last couple of mornings in that if you didn't answer me the first time, then I rang you back and gave you a second opportunity. No more Mr. Nice Guy now. You get one goal. And if you don't answer, or if you answer wrong, then move on to somebody else. Well, actually, no, if you don't answer. If you answer wrong, then you just answer wrong and you don't go through. I do not want to hear hello. I want to hear the words, I want to live free with Cork's 96 AM. And if you texted a WhatsApp in the last few minutes, you need to have your phone in front of you now, on the table or in your hand. Don't have it buried down the end of the backpack. Don't have it stuck in the arse of the jeans and be fiddling for it through your winter coat. I want you to take it out now, into your hand, hold it and wait for it to ring. Are we ready? Here we go. Two. Okay. Zero. Four. Right, let's see what comes up. Answer the phone properly now. No, that's engaged. Oh, for goodness sake. Right. Next one. Here we go. Let's see. Remember, I want those right, the correct words when you answer the phone. Six. Five. Eight. Right. Answer the phone properly. If it's ringing in front of you. Come on. Ah, come on. Let me get through at least. No, they're both engaged, lads. The two numbers are engaged. I rang the first one, rang the... Now we go back and we try the first one again. Now, for goodness sake, answer your phone. Four. Should we try it again? We got a phone ring. Ring in. No. Answer the phone. Answer properly. I want to live free in 23 with Cox 96 FM. Yes! Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, know, you know what we've just done, right? So Katrina, I heard you. I rang you, and then you didn't answer. 
PJ, I had it in my hands. I don't know what happened. It was in my hands. It was engaged. It was engaged. And then I <laughs> rang somebody else and they were engaged. So I rang you okay. back. So you answered, <laughs> the, great. you answered the right way. <laughs> Thanks, PJ. I'm trying all week. Good. Well, you're, go- you're going through to the draw now. Katrina, and that'll be made in a a couple of weeks' time. You wouldn't believe what's inside in this prize pack. Every time you think of something, there's more in it. What would you do if you won? It's the best one, yes, I have to say. Like, it's fantastic. Oh, my God, I don't know. Like, Um, there's a holiday there. Like, where would you like to go on holidays? Oh, anywhere hot. Anywhere hot would do. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't mean... And you don't mean in Shidani, you know? I'm in shock. (laughs) 500 euro worth of takeaways. Where would you spend that money? Oh, well, my son would just be over the moon with that. (laughs) I know, yeah. I know. Where would you be? Where would he go to? Out of it all, his face lit up when he heard that. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. And the hair and beauty stuff? Oh, fantastic. Sure, I'll take that any day. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Katrina, stay there until we get some more details off you, but you're going through anyway. Thanks, PJ. Thanks Uh, a million. Cheers. She's back with you there, let's. Katrina Cronin going through to the draw. Simon has another draw later. Lorraine's got one after that. We keep doing them for another couple of weeks, and then one person will win that enormous prize pack. Yeah, like Katrina says, it's one of the biggest prize packs we've ever given away. I've, I haven't even attempted to add it up. There's about, there's well over 10 grand's worth of stuff in it. Well over. Live free in 23 with Cork Credit Unions here for you always, only on Cork's 96 FM. Join Casey and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96FM for your chance to win with StoneGymSolutions.ie. We're giving away a voucher worth €1,500 for a home gym so you can choose any equipment from cardio, strength, weights, yoga and more. Listen to Casey and Ross all week from 6am to win and get back on track with your fitness this January with StoneGymSolutions.ie. Only on Cork's 96FM. Join the conversation. Call us now. 9696 This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Yeah, there's a story. Um, we talked about this after he wrote it, and you'd wonder A, he wrote it, but B, his editor let it go through to be published on the paper. And speaking of the article that Jeremy Clarkson wrote about. Meghan Markle, and I'm not going to read what he wrote again. You've you've seen it if you're interested in seeing it. It now looks that he's been dropped as presenter of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. He's gone from that. It also looks... Now, Amazon have said that they will part company with him when his current contract expires. Now, he's got something like two more seasons of The Farm... And there's another season or two of the Grand Tour. So it's not like he'll be finished working for Amazon next week. There's still a few seasons of both of those shows to be done. But at the end of that, they'll be canning him. He's making a pretty penny from it anyway, so I don't think he'd be too bothered about losing that particular contract. But he's gone from who wants to be a millionaire uh, this morning. 0818969696, back to childhood obesity and whether we should watch... A child's weight, like we'd watch their eyesight, like we'd watch their speech, like we'd watch their walking when they're young and they're developing. Kevin. Morning, how are you? How are you? You've raised raised a few smallies. I've raised a few smallies in my time and I was 
that, and I still am. I struggle with weight, and I have done ever since I was probably 11, 12. Right. Let's put it this way. The first time I ever went to see a dietitian was up at the regional hospital when I was 12 years of age. Okay. My GP sent me up, and that was probably back in 1984. Right. And from then on, I've always struggled with weight. Always. Uh, I mean, at that age, I was as fit as a fiddle as well. I did every single sport going, going that I could do, and I was always out. So it wasn't the case that I was eating too much and not moving enough. That mm. came that came later. But when I was young, I was eating the, the meals that my mother put up in front of me, and I was gone. Mm. But it's, there's no silver bullet with this. We've been dancing around this subject, this topic, for 20 years or more. Mm. I mean, I've, I've heard radio stations all over the UK and Ireland discussing this for 20 years. Yes. It's not new. No. But... The problem you've got is convenience food is cheaper than fresh food. It's easier to cook. It's less time. And people today, in in the last few years, are busy households with two adults working and convenience is what people go for. And we're also in a case where I believe, anyway, that parents don't like to say no to children because... That's the off. one. That's the one I was waiting for you to get to. Yeah. Because well, when, when we were when we were small, I don't know about your parents. My parents, I mean, it was every third word. Can I have no? Can I have no? <laughs> and when when mine were small, it was like yeah, go on, so yeah, go on, yeah, go on. As I like, I wanted to give them everything that I didn't have. Like with most parents, we're we're not. It's normal. But you know what? It's it's you're not helping them in the long run. And kids learning the word no is not a bad thing. But at the same time, there's ways it means that the government can use the taxation system to help parents to make fresh food cheaper and to make processed food either not unaffordable but unattractive to the pocket. We're all watching the pennies at the minute. But the flip side of that is the processed food industry in this country is a huge, it's a huge employer for one and it's a huge revenue generator another. It's a delicate balancing act. Mm. The other side of it, I think Suzanne was talking about the amount of pee that's done in school. Yeah. It's like, that's a no-brainer. That was Kate, know? I think. She said, and oh, she made a very good point. She said, if anything <laughs> happens, PE is the first thing to be cancelled. Yeah, of course it is. And it's like, you know, grab the PE teacher to do this or grab the PE teacher to do that. It's like, you go to some countries and it's every morning. You go in and it's the first thing you do. Mm. And sometimes it's the first thing and the last thing you do. And you'll do your lessons in between. But, you know, it's it's finding the balance of what's important, you know, and long term for the for the state of the country anyway, for the state of the health service, it has to be a good thing. I mean, I've got the problem now where I was up, up until recently, I was eating too much and not moving enough. Yeah. And, you know, that's just laziness on my part. But, you know, that's changing now. And even things like I go, my missus goes shopping or I go shopping. Kids don't go shopping for us. The kids are, mm. we, we earn the money we pay for the shopping bill we go shopping we mm. put what food goes into the fridge and they can like it or lump it well, well, you know, well, the days that the kids can go and buy their own food then they can decide what, what's on the plate at night well funny you should say that Kevin because in our house uh, for the most part Queen Bee does the weekly shop and, mm. and, and that's a good thing because she's far more yeah. disciplined than I am I'm, not, I'm banned from shopping. I'm, I'm banned from going shopping. Because I'm, I'm like, oh, that's nice. Oh, I'd like that. Oh, go on, throw that in the basket. There's the grant. Yeah. You know, it's the worst thing in the world. I And I'm and I'm a guilty hypocrite <laughs> for an awful lot of it because I walk down the biscuit aisle, 
and I'd be like, I, I like, I'm, a, I'm like a minesweeper. It's like, I like that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. Kevin, do you by any chance have two biscuit syndrome? Oh God, no! There's not such thing as two. Well, there's the thing: two biscuit syndrome. I often laugh with my mother about this. When we when we were when we were young, and you'd have a biscuit at the end of your dinner, right? You got two biscuits. Mm. So for now, handing it's like a trauma. <laughs> handing me two biscuits, bugger well, off! Give me the pack. The best thing, the best thing my grandmother used to do is she'd get all the biscuits, she'd put them all into the big, you know, the the, the empty tin that was left yeah. over from Christmas. Yeah. That that we I'd say we had a Jacob's Christmas tin in my grandmother's house for all of my childhood. It, but it, they all came out of the packet. The packet was never brought out. You never saw the packet. You just saw the tin. You yes. get the lid will come off, take a couple, lid bent back on and back into the cupboard. And, you know, out of sight. And again, if we wanted any more, we were told no. Yeah. Uh, we were actually, no, it was no and get out. Yeah. You know, but, Look, it's a different come back, world. Come back to think about processed foods, though, and and, and yeah. the, like I have a friend who's worked in in retail all his life, and, yeah. and he would argue to his last breath with you that good food is actually just as cheap if you know what to buy and if you know when to buy it, and that maybe we should learn more in school. I've always believed, Kevin, every boy and girl should learn home economics. And be taught yep. good nutrition through that. Yeah, my daughter's doing it up to leaving cert, and it's something that she, my youngest one, she wants to become a home ec teacher. And um, yeah, it, it, it's always been, when I was in school, it was an optional subject at the tech in Kentuck. And it, but it was there. It should be mandatory. Of course it should. You know, at least up until junior cert where you learn the basics. But a lot of this stuff we know. We don't need to go to school to learn There's fish fingers, chips and beans isn't as good as a beef stew with a couple of scoops of mass wood. You know, we don't know, you don't need to go to school to learn that. You know that in the back of your mind, you just don't want to admit it to yourself. It's true. You know, true. and that's an awful lot of us. And, and if, like, if you want to buy, say, fresh, fresh chicken, yeah. chicken, chicken thighs, you kind of walk past them. The humble chicken thigh is a beautiful part of the bird that we don't yeah. buy. And it's cheap as chips. I think an awful lot of it, and look, it's, it's no liner. I mean, dairy products, fresh meat at the moment is expensive. It's it more expensive than it was. Oh, it's a lot more. So, I was only talking to Fergal about it this morning. The staples, bread, milk, eggs, yeah. they're all gone up. Yeah, yeah it, and it's not just gone up by a little bit. It's gone up by a good chunk, and there's no sign of it coming down soon. So you've got to be clever on what you buy. And look, knowing how to cook is a massive, a massive thing anyway. But also learning how what to use when you're cooking. Things like, you know, air fryers aren't that expensive. Mm. You know, um, slow cookers, if, you're, if you've got a working household, put the slow cooker on and do yourself a bolognese in it or a stew in yeah. it and it's done and it'll go in the freezer for days. You know, you're laughing. Right. Yeah. It's just common sense stuff but it takes effort. It does. It does. And I, I, I think home economics, I think it's time to look at every child. Kevin, thank you. Every child learning home economics. Because you, it is what it is. It's it's how to run a home, how to do basic cooking, how to select the good food and buy it and leave the rubbish on the shelf, and how to get over this idea that good food is too expensive. Because it isn't. It's more expensive than it was through this whole cost of living crack that's going on at the moment. But good food, good ordinary staple food, doesn't need to be that expensive. Come here, food aside, Premier League live. Back this weekend with Trevor Welch and the team.
on 96fm.ie. Saturday for midday, powered up by TalkSport. This weekend, live coverage, Liverpool versus Chelsea. That's at half 12. West Ham v Everton at 3. And Crystal Palace against Newcastle at half 5. Busy day for the lads. Premier League Live online, brought to you by Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the app, on the Cork's 96FM app. Get the app. Open it up, and there is the button inside to go for Premier League Live. Or indeed, you'll find it at 96fm.ie. Live free in 23. Listen and win. Oh my God! Yeah! A year to remember. Cut the cost of living for one loyal listener. With the ultimate live free grand prize. Win a holiday. Free fuel. Supermarket shopping. Computers and electrical. Concert tickets. Fashion and beauty. Free food. And a credit union account with cash. Spending money. Money. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. For your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. To win. Live free in 23. With Cork Credit Unions. Here for you always. <laughs> Only on Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. There's a story that's ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. We, we kind of can't really talk about it much because it is before the courts on an ongoing basis. But if you're following it, story of Enoch Burke another twist in that story this morning the judge in the court said to him in the last couple of days you know the way he's he was in in jail before Christmas for contempt of court and then they let him out uh, he's under court orders to stay away from the school where he's employed he refuses to stay away from the school so he's been isolated in the corner of the school since going back after Christmas He's now trying to get an injunction against the school for a disciplinary hearing, to prevent a disciplinary hearing. The judge in the court yesterday, I think, or the day before, said, well, okay, Mr. Burke, if you want me to injunct the disciplinary hearing, I'll consider it, but only if you follow the original order to stay away from the school. It just turned out this morning. He now says he won't follow that original order to stay away from the school. So the disciplinary hearing... It's going to go ahead. It's 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 better than EastEnders, that story. But it's not one we can kind of discuss because it's, as in we can't open it to the floor, as it were, because it's before the courts and we have to be very careful about what we say. 0818 96 96 96. Here's a sad message. Uh, it's hurting my heart. And this is, this is, I think this is widespread. A lot of people feel this way. It's hurting my heart that that man, Timmy, laid there for 20 years and nobody missed him. He had a life. He had a story. I've been crying for him. It's a discussion we need to have about society in general. Someone, even locally, should have looked in on him. If someone's quiet, or maybe even a hermit, they need to be looked after even more. I have a neighbour who's a very, very quiet man, but I still check on him without being intrusive. We should all do this, says Bernie. And that's a, a nice point. We're getting a few like that. The idea that someone could disappear from the face of the planet and nobody went looking to see was he all right. You'd wonder, 
you know, look, it's a story that may come out, Bernie. We we may know more come the inquest later on in the year. It'll be an inquest that'll be followed with interest, and I know almost certain that the Corks 96 FM news team will be across that inquest when it comes about and it's one we will follow but yes the very sad story of Timmy Timmy O'Sullivan Timmy was the man who was found we now know no suspicious element to his death no foul play involved the um, post-mortem carried out at the weekend by by Dr. Bolster no suspicion of anything like foul play he just seems to have died in bed and laying there for 20 years until they broke into the house the other day to enact a compulsory purchase order. And he was from Carras Iveen in County Kerry. He'd been in the UK for years. He spoke with an English accent. He suffered a lot with his mental health. He was a bit of a recluse, a bit of a, a hermit. He bought that house, we think, in 1989. And then... In the early noughties, people thought he was either gone back into hospital again, because he did go to hospital quite a lot. He used to go to St. Stephen's. Or that he may have gone back to the UK. And he was so quiet and so sort of kept so much to himself that no one knew. No one knew he was lying there in his bed. Dead. Poor old devil. 0818969696. Now, we got this text earlier in the week. Uh, Monday, I think it was. No street lights in Corriblon, Ballandary Park and the Ring Road for the last six nights. So this was up to Monday. We can't see a thing. It's crazy. PJ, can you get them put back on? You'll be our hero if you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, we had, we didn't subsequently heard, within hours of that communication coming in from Ballanderry, that a truck had arrived. And we don't know what happened since. Labour Party Councillor John Maher also contacted that day to say that he was aware of the situation. So, John, bring us up to speed. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Um, how are things? Yeah, look, I suppose uh, you, you hit the nail on the head that the lights were out since last week and the residents, to be fair to them, have been in regular contact. Um, so, I suppose the, the bureaucracy of, of, of local politics and Irish politics then kicks in um, and it was a case of identifying the problem. Um, and uh, so it goes through council, and then the, the contractor that we um, that we uh, that we have chosen is Electric uh, Skyline. They came out then, and there was actually nothing wrong with the pole or the light, and it was actually a connection issue, right? So it was a high end issue, which then goes to the ESB. Um, but I suppose to bring us from Monday, the DSB has been there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they're confident that this evening, all with the exception of four lights. Uh, will the public lighting will be back in in place, which which is a really good news story, PJ, because there's other communities, and I know in the northeast ward where people are waiting up to six weeks wow. without lighting. You know, so this is a positive one. It's yeah. been a week and a half, and I do I can understand that it's still frustrating when people are out in darkness, and many neighbours have sent on videos. And we're know, over John on nights like this when when, when the footpaths are snow are frozen. You know, no, no, absolutely, um, but I suppose to reassure people is that um, you know I have had experiences and I know listeners are probably saying yeah that was our that was our community where it was six weeks this one as I said the communication this morning was was that by five o'clock or sorry by this evening whenever the lights come on is that they will be all lights will be back in action with the exception of four or five um, you know which is a positive outcome and then the 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 works on the the remaining four or five 
will be carried out uh, by the end of the week. So all in all, it was, um, you know, it's a positive good, story. Good. It's good, you know. Just go through the, the, the procedure, because like you said, these things are convoluted and, and people sometimes don't understand. So if I report to you or to the council that my streetlight outside the door isn't working, what happens then? I suppose, yeah, well, look, PJ, the first thing is that for people, you know, if you do want to do that, you, you can ring the Cork City Council helpline, you can ring your local councillor, or you can go online and log it yourself as well. So there are options. Mm. When, when you do log it, um, again, it, it identifies the pole. The first thing we will do is we will get our contractor, which is um, Electric Skyline. They'll come out, and if it's a thing that they, we'd say that the bulb is broke or that maybe the the, 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 the protector uh, of the bulb is broke or, you know, or maybe the pole is damaged. If it's something they can do, they'll do it. They'll do it. And however, if it's a supply issue, which is which, which is what happened in the, the Corablan, Ballanderry and Northring Road side, it's staying up to the ESB to come out. And sometimes they're, they're at a number of things. And as I said to you, this mm. is a good news story, but I do know the community that waited six weeks and it wasn't yeah. pleasant. Um, you know, and it was it was an area where a lot of people were the, the majority of the, the the community were elderly, um, and they needed the light first of all for their own just for that sense of safety, but also to, to navigate maybe to the local shop. You know, because at the time it happened, it was at the darkest it would be. You know, I and mean, yeah. even though we're a small but blessed that we just see that bit of stretch in the evenings. It's not yeah. great. But, but back there. in November, back in November, December, that wasn't there, you know, and, and it, it, it was a case of it was on the list. Um, and, you know, then we're, you know, we're at, you know, the, we, have, we have different masters at that stage. And uh, all we can do then is continue mm-hmm. to deal, exactly. with the, deal with the people in City Hall to yeah. deal with ESP. Um, but as I said, um, this, is a, this is a positive because what I is. have had No, it is. And, and, and thank you as well, John, because you've explained what is a... a, a, a process I guess that many people yeah. wouldn't wouldn't understand. Thank you very much Labour Party Councillor John Maher. Those lights to be on all bar four uh, by this evening and the remaining four hopefully working by the end of the week. Thank you for that. But there's a thing now. Anna was on she said this is a wider issue too PJ not just the north side. There were no street lights on the road by McDonald's in Ballancolic last night. It was pitch black. I was walking. There are also no street lights in my estate. What are the council at well, there's the explanation from John Maher. So you report to the council that your streetlights aren't working. The council then contacts its supplier, as it were, its contractor, and says we have a problem in Ballanderry Park, or we have a problem in Ballancolic. They send out man in van, or woman in van, I suppose, as it can be in 2023. Man or woman in van comes out, checks to see, can I fix the light uh, if I can't fix the light rings the council and says well I'm sorry I can't fix the light that's a supply problem council then has to get onto the ESB who deal with the supply and then they have to come out and sort out the supply to bring the lights back on so <laughs> it is complex and the ESB are busy very busy so there you go that's how it that's how it works, or rather doesn't, Anna. But uh, good to know that the people of Ballanderry and Corriblon and the North Ring Road there have their lights coming back. We'd like to think we could take a little bit of credit for it, but that would be mean, wouldn't it? Or would it? 0818 
96, 96, 96. Come back to a few things. Home economics, talking to Kevin about this before the news and whether all children should learn home ec to enable them to prepare for more expensive food in a more expensive world and basic cooking and all those things so that you put on proper non-processed food rather than buying stuff and chucking it in the microwave. In times past, my sister-in-law's daughter took home ec. We all thought it was strange. She was a very academic kid. She then went on to take a career in law, but she can sew, she can knit, she can cook very well, and to be honest, we're all very envious of her domestic skills. She has just the right balance. In fact, I think there should be a bigger life skills focus in school. Yep. Oh, wait, well, I, mean, I maintain, and I, I, I put it on as a compulsory junior subject for everyone. For everyone. And maybe even leaving cert too to take home ec. How to run a home. Because nobody taught me. I hadn't. I, I tell you something. I got married and I left home and I hadn't got a flaming clue. Not a notion. There are those who would say I still haven't a notion, but we get by. 0818 96 96 96. They have found something strange. Something strange in the Lord Mayor's office. Tell you next. 0818 96 96 96. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not for profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With corksimon.ie. Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96 FM. <laughs> Couldn't resist this. Last couple of days, when you and I were at home watching telly, or maybe even sleeping, members of the Cork City Supernatural Society, or the Cork Supernatural Society, were exploring. They were exploring the City Hall, of all places, and going into the Lord Mayor's Chamber, and into the Council Chamber, and the offices to see was there any activity? And they set up their gear and they set up their recording stuff. Just a couple of nights ago, what an opportunity to get into the City Hall, a place steeped, steeped in history. Kim O'Shea is with the Cork Supernatural Society. Morning. Good morning, PJ. I suppose we were privileged really to get the chance to explore this iconic building. It's somewhere we've always had in the back of our minds that we'd love to get into but we never thought we'd get the chance to go in there so yeah we were very privileged had you full access like we did we had full access they just said yep work away so so how long did you spend there where did you explore we stayed in the kind of the main part of the building the older part of the building i suppose Mm. and um we were there for about I suppose we were there for about five hours, really. Imagine, for example, one place that would have been very interesting were the Lord Mayor's office. So did you set up there? We did, we did. We kind of did that towards the end of the evening. We we went in there with the security team at the start of the evening and just had a walk around with them. And then we decided to end up there, I suppose. And we 
we had split up during the night into two groups, but for that, we came together at the very end. Mm. And when we got up to the mayor's office, the other group was already in there. This was where they thought they captured the EVP in there. Let me stop you there for a second. What What is an EVP? Yeah. It's an electronic voice phenomenon. It's something that you don't hear at the time yourself, but it's picked up on your recording device. So what we would do sometimes is we do what we call a live EVP, where we'll ask a few questions that we do a live recording, and then we play it back immediately to hear, was there any responses or were there anything you know, different, anything strange in the background? Most of the time, all the time we have um, audio and video running the whole time anyway. But this is something we do extra then if we're concentrating on a particular area. So you're saying that from the Lord Mayor's office, there seems to be a voice. Yeah, there's definitely something. To me, it sounds a strange noise that we couldn't account for. The lads are hearing it as a yes. Oh, yes in answer to what question? Well, Matt asked the question, is there anybody here? I think what he said was, is there anybody here who was here at the time of the building was burned in 1920? Uh-huh. Now, we know there was no record of any deaths in there at the time, but it was an open question. It could have been somebody outside the building. No, it didn't yeah. necessarily mean that, that it was somebody that died there or anything. Right. But, you know, was it somebody who used to work there or something? We don't know. So the recording then of that... You put yeah. that through some kind of analysis. Is that it to see? Is it actually somebody saying yes? They will. They'll run it through. They're, there's a lot of reviewing to do first. So initially, they'll just have a run through and pick out anything of interest that they need to go back over. And then they'll spend time. Matt's really good. He's got a really keen ear and he'll spend time going through it. You can even see it. I've done it myself. When we run it through the computer on different programs, and that you can see the the actual signal. If we're getting an EVP, it can have a completely different wave pattern to that of our, of our voices. Oh. You can actually visually, you can see that there is an anomaly there. There's something different. As you can imagine, like working in studios, Kim, we'd all be fairly familiar here with, with a voice wave, what a voice looks like on a screen. So you're saying this is different looking. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, I've always, on um, when I used to run it through my just basic little software, it um, the normal voice pattern was, you know, fairly fairly obvious, really. And yes. then all of a sudden you get this little, almost like a little round ball of sound. It was very strange. It was a completely different um, pattern. Yeah, really, really different. So in answer to the question posed during your time in the Lord Mayor's office, the question was, is there anybody here who was around at the time of the Great Fire? You think yeah. somebody said yes. Yeah, there definitely was a reply of some sort. Wow. Now, I, wow. I, like I say, personally, I, I'm not sure if it was a yes, but definitely there was a response. Okay. There was something that we couldn't account for. We didn't hear it at the time. There was why eight of us in the room we did not hear that sound and then it was played back it turns up in the recording oh my goodness and it's loud it's loud we'd be interested to see what that turns out to be in in the chamber itself the council chamber plenty more history in there anything come from that no um no there's a few shadows and things on the top balcony when I was sitting down. I kept seeing what looked like a bit of a shadow up there. You know, again, it was something we didn't catch on camera or anything. It was just something that, it, I suppose, a personal experience. Yeah. It was strange. I just felt I saw an arm up there at one time. I get the impression from you, Kim, that what you're telling me is I'm doing this 
a long time. We're doing this a long time. And in this most historic of city buildings, we certainly seem to have heard something and may have seen things we can't explain. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And like I say, there's a lot of footage yet to be reviewed. So we'll see, you know, what comes of that. But it, it is very strange. You can go into a building, you get some phenomenal activity and you can go in again two nights later and say oh god we go back there again and you get nothing it's flat (laughs) so it's just very very weird yes i know some of the security guys were telling us that caretakers that that used to live in the building they used to walk around at night and Mm. they'd kind of look over their shoulder a few times and you know say hmm hmm wonder what was that you know so it's not just us you know yeah. How does this compare, say, to being inside Spike Island when you were in there? Spike Island, I suppose, how will I say now? Spike Island had a very dark, cold feeling to it. It was strange. Whereas the City Hall had a very calm, we all said that it was a very calm building, beautiful. Yeah. When you go in there, there's lovely lovely energy inside there like would you get a feeling going into a building would you get a feeling if you weren't welcome shall we say well what I've noticed lately myself personally is if I go into a building if we're going to get activity in there I'll start to feel really sick I usually say to the lads oh I feel sick and a strong energy I suppose it's like anything if there's a change in the energy yeah no if you go into a room and two people have been fighting inside there yeah. And you walk in, you know straight away that there's something going on in that room. But nobody might have said anything, but you can feel that. And that's just energy. And that's all it is. That's all it is. So you'll take the footage and you'll take the sound recordings, you'll analyze it. And what do you do? You, do, you write yeah. up a report then, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Usually it'll go up on all our social media pages anyway. And um, I often, I have a blog as well. So I often put things up on the blog. Mm. and um, we just get together really and we spend hours discussing it we'd be on WhatsApp then for a couple of hours each night talking about mm. it and what do you think this is debunking like and, well Kim yeah. if if that does turn out to be uh, yes come back to me won't you and tell me oh god yeah oh yeah definitely oh yeah and you know is it possible is it possible to enhance that in such a way as we could we could actually broadcast it well you could even as it is now, it's it's just the sound. It's a very loud sound. I mean, some some of the EVPs we get are very plain. Very, you'd hear them straight away. It right. could be a sentence. Could be anything. Yeah, you, you, you certainly hear this one. It's loud. It's it's so loud to me. It's just like a noise. Three of them are saying no. It, there's there's a yes behind that. There's oh. definitely. Keep in touch with us on this one. Be fascinating to know who said that. You were in the Lord Mayor's office and you asked, is there anybody here who was here at the time of the fire? And someone said yes. At least that's what it yeah. sounds like. Kim, fascinating. We'll talk again. Thank you. <laughs> no problem at all, PJ. Lovely talking to you. And to you. Wow. That's a good one. We'll, we'll follow up with them on that. Um, if, if we can figure out what was said. Was it was it yes? Or was it just a noise? Did did someone fart? Whatever. <laughs> uh, if it was, well, it was. We 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 come back to them on that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Come back to doctors and whether or not this kind of took off yesterday. Um, lots of messages on it. 
we were talking about the health service with, with Finbar and I mentioned that there's a suggestion out there now in some quarters that when a young person completes their training as a doctor and they've done their intern year as part of that and they get their parchment and they get their degree and they can call themselves doctor, that then we should say to them, okay, it's cost the state 400000 or something to train you. So for the next three years, you work the HSE. That's your job. You have a contract with the HSE in a hospital or whatever for the next three years. And we make that compulsory to keep them in the system rather than heading for the airport to go to the four corners of the world. It's out there. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it, but it's certainly a talking point. I heard the conversation this morning about newly qualified doctors staying here or emigrating. Not sure if it came up, but here's a point for you. Roughly half of every college year in med is made up of foreign students who pay a lot of money to study medicine here. They qualify and then go home. Suggestion. Why don't the government pay the colleges more to educate more Irish students instead of the Canadians and the Malaysians to do medicine? It might reduce the points as well for medicine and there'd be many, many more who'd have national loyalty. At the moment, we're totally dependent on foreign doctors. Why not allow more Irish kids to study medicine? It would be costly in the short term, but I've no doubt it would sort the problem within a few years. Well, I would say as well to that correspondent that an awful lot of the youngsters that come here from Asia to train uh, as medics, A, they make bloody good medics and many of them do go into our system for at least a couple of years. 0818 96 96 96. Now I did reach out to a doctor friend of mine and someone you'd know if I told you who it was uh, but who hasn't been well so I'm not going to mention their name but they did send me um, a message about this. Uh, it said, PJ, for what it's worth, I don't support compulsory service post-grad for doctors. Other graduates don't do this. Arts, law, pharmacy, dentistry, they don't do it. Vets don't do it. So it need to be across the board if you're going to do it with medics. It would also, I think, push more doctors to leave later in their career after those three years. Then they're less likely, I would think, to return. We want to encourage young, talented people to study medicine. This might discourage them. And the way to retain staff should never be compulsory service, but actually should be good employment, good terms and conditions, good leave and good quality training in a functioning healthcare system. Happy staff will stay. Unhappy staff will always find a way to leave. That's the thoughts of a doctor. A doctor that I won't name because uh, that person not very well at the moment. Wish them well. Wish them a good and speedy recovery. And we'll talk again soon. But there's the thoughts of a doctor. No, don't make it compulsory. In actual fact, it'll be counterproductive. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Gold sandy beaches, palm trees for miles and maybe a bit of sunburn. A holiday is just one of the prizes on Live Free in 23. Qualify for our grand final with me from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818-969696. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, um, just that Coca-Cola, we mentioned a Coca-Cola memorabilia. There was a, a lady in Glenmire. Her name, I think, was Lillian. Her whole house was decked out with every conceivable kind of 
Coca-Cola memorabilia. And uh, we, I saw pictures. It was fantastic. Just brilliant. She just started collecting Coca-Cola stuff and, you know. 0818 96 96 96. But Derek Burke, uh, tractors and motorbikes. Morning. Hi, hi, PJ. How are you keeping? Good, I know. Um, <laughs> um, I yeah. Since I've look, I, since a young age, um, I've always probably been into tractors and that kind of stuff, PJ. And mm. uh, it's always interest. It's always interested me, especially tractors when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but that slowly progressed to motorbikes afterwards. Yeah, but, your, um, your parents, think, of course, were were farmers, so that that would give you the interest in in, in tractors, I guess. They were, yeah, my parents both came from farming backgrounds, and um, I had a I had an, an uncle then, Paul Cotter, um, who used to, he he started off working in the OK garages up by Victoria Cross yeah. in Park City, um, he was where they were where they were selling tractors, and he he went on then and he had his own garage in Middleton afterwards where he was selling tractor parts, and he also was selling um at different shows around the country and that as well, um, and he also would have been he was one of the first people um, in Ireland and definitely in Munster anyway as well um, to start the, the wedding vintage cars in Ireland and he was one of the first to start that in our, in Ireland, and uh, he so he, he was very very well known, and he was very big into the vintage scene. And then I also my grandmother's uncle, um, he was um, uh, a tractor. He was he out in Bartlemy. He used to sell. Um, he had his own. He had his own uh, dealership, and he was mm-hmm. selling tractors. He start, He was one of the first people to be importing tractors from or in in the East Cork area. Anyway, so importing tractors along with Lee here and all Manny's as well, but bringing him in from um, England they were bringing in tractors and then he went on and actually got a Zetter dealership and he was selling Zetter tractors yeah, for right. a good number of years afterwards you just have the one at the moment um, and, and one I, at the I, moment that, currently that, buying another one at the moment yeah, currently that, buying another one but uh, just waiting for that to go over the line but uh, yeah have one at the moment yeah, are they but expensive I, I have Okay, what I would say is, and like I've been collecting stuff for a number of years. I'd have a good lot of like machinery implements now as well to go on the back of the tractors, like um, for cutting silage. Now double chops. I have a double chop. I have a single chop. Um, I'd have a silage trailer for a fresher silage trailer. Um, and I'd have like plow, a harrow. I'd have all different machinery bits and pieces. <laughs> but I suppose I started collecting my stuff. Look, probably with the last ten years I'm collecting, and ten years ago things were a lot more affordable than they are now. Do you know that? Yeah, kind yeah. Of it's amazing even in 10 years, the value on the stuff has gone up so, so much, you know, and a lot of the stuff I have now would have had, has doubled and tripled probably in price. Do you know that? Kind yeah. of but it's just the way the the markets have gone and I suppose every 10 years things are going to get, you know, there's less, and, it's not being made anymore. It is only, uh, it is only getting scarcer, you know. Yeah. Um, but look, the the smaller tractors aren't too bad. They're, once they're going, they're easy, keep going yeah. and look, a, a socket and a spanner but the bigger you get and I suppose the more modern tractors like what's there nowadays in years to come I don't couldn't see how it would be justifiable that a person could keep a lot of them because it would be just so expensive to keep them but the vintage ones look they're pretty easy keep going and they're yeah. pretty bomb proof and they're reliable you yeah, know? They, so, they were, look, and, they, and they would yeah. last if you looked after them my, my grandfather had an old That's Fordson right. thing it dated back to the first it was an ancient yoke it literally was just an engine with a seat on it and 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 yes, some wheels yeah. and the be- they were a beautiful thing he used to exhibit it down at the down at the 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 rally in in Upton uh, and do you see these tractor runs now Derek they're very popular up and down the country 
They are. They're extremely popular and they raise such good money for charities as well. Like, you know, sure, locally here, obviously, there's a lot of clubs. You, uh, you have Rackharmuk, uh, you have Rackharmuk uh, Vintage Club, you have Morgili, you have Bell and Roastig, you have Carrick Tool. Um, you have an awful lot of them around the areas, you know, and actually only there a couple of weeks ago, um, actually the 2nd of January, there was a big road run um, out in Castle Lines, I went to it, and um, there was over, I, I, I'm not sure of the full numbers, but there was over 250 tractors, and there was something like 30 cars as well, and like, it was 20 euros, and that's kind of the standard entry fee into these things, um, and you'll get you'll get fed and everything, there'll be a bit of food at all these things, and the money all goes to charity, yes. um, just once their costs are taken out of it or whatever, but the money goes to charity, and the amount of money that's raised at all those charity events around the country, that's another reason why I have these things, you know, you're, you're supporting and they're for good causes, yeah. and um, they're raising money for, for well-deserved things, and look, it's, um, and I know maybe, um, you know, and look, again, even for young lads coming up along the line, look, do you know, it's a fun day out for them, and they're doing no harm, you know, that kind of way and oh yeah just, and, I and, know. and even just the whole social side of it and meeting people and having a chat and yes. uh, having yeah. a chat with people that you have similar interests in because at the, at the end of the day a lot of these things with vintage vehicles with all of us they're a hobby you know oh, and, oh yeah and we all yeah. love talking to people that are interested in the same thing yeah you know? I, I, I had a friend uh, who who had a couple of cars and he just used to buy and drive a vintage car for a couple of years and then he'd sell it and buy another one and you've motorbikes yes. as well how many bikes have you I do well. Um, at the mo- I have I have five bikes and my father has two bikes. Um, no, they're ranging from nineteen sixty three up to zero three. Um, but um, I there's I suppose then there's two types of there's two types of people that are interested in vintage vehicles or even be it anything. It could be gates or it could be furniture or anything. And there's always a big debate: should you paint something or should you not? Yes. And when I was younger, when I was younger. I thought it was the painted stuff I wanted and I had a tractor, I had a Ford 4000 that was painted, I had a Zephyr Crystal that was painted, I had a Ferguson that was painted and slowly but surely I realised it's not painted I'm into <laughs> and I actually sold them off and anything I have now is original and it's never been painted and I try and buy stuff that's good and again another thing I'm very kind of big into is trying to get the uh, the old Irish number plates um, it's just yeah. a thing I like I like to see like um, my my my. I have a Zephyr 4718 tractor there now that's a Waterford Ridge I have a, I have one motorbike there that's another Waterford Ridge um, it's an NSU quickly I have a rally runabout and that was that's an old Cockridge with CZK and oh my goodness me, the ZKs, I remember them. Brand new. Yeah, yeah, the ZKs. Well, that's a CZK. The Waterfords were WKs, uh, WKIs. Now is my kind of ridges. Or BKI is another one of them that I have there. Um, and then I have a Honda Fifty, and it's EPI, which is a which is the Cork City Ridge. Yeah. So the PI was Cork City, and the the ZK was yeah. Cork County. And you have you have a, a little chicken yeah. chaser, an old Cork City chicken chaser. Chicken yeah. chaser. <laughs> a Cork City chicken chaser. It's an original Cork City chaser. It's very original. I'm actually, and what I do then is like, like I buy like that bike now. And if, for instance, they're like um, my my mother would often be giving out to me. There, she'd see me coming home and say, "What are you bringing home that thing for?" But then you transform farm it over time, yes, like yes. you know, and you'd be looking for parts. It might be missing, like there, now it was missing, it was missing a mirror and it was missing a um the t- a, a, a taillight lens. And I went looking and I found in the original. I'm after getting a pair of original mm. um mirrors and like I'd be very fussy you now. Like I wanted the originals because they'd have the stamp made in Japan. And there's the thing. I read that. Yeah, you you, you don't like. That. You don't like yeah. the copy the copy version. You want the original bit. 
I, if I can, like even they're no, um, they're no one of the lenses um, on it. Like so, they should have made in Japan Stanley. Stanley made the lenses, and one of them didn't. It was a spurious one. Um, but I'm after getting an original one now that says Stanley, and I'd be just trying to get those things yeah. because for the real vintage part, like when I'd be going looking at stuff there, now if I saw a very original car tract whatever you know they're the kind of things I suppose that really stand yeah. out and, and if, it's, I mean, if it's made, if it's made correct, up of spurious know? cover parts from bits of plastic in Korea and that kind of stuff then it's not exactly the same Derek I must I must see this collection of yours you sent us some pictures uh, we must catch up at some stage that's Derek Burke uh, he of Crystal Swing and all that tractors and motorbikes can you beat that have you got something else that you collect um, Tony collects bus and train tickets I'll get to that and we'll come back to anything strange that you collect everyone like stamps and books and all there well, but anything weird <clears throat> that you collect there's a shop in Middleton where they collect I think at this stage they're collecting winning lottery tickets Fergus McCarthy morning good morning PJ how Five, are you doing 500 grand and the Euro yeah, millions not too bad no, not, not too bad at all. do you know who bought it we actually do now. Normally, uh, you, you you don't. Well, I'd say we've had I think seven or eight wins at this stage. I'm not sure, but I'm, I've I've known about three prior to this. The you know the rest keep it to themselves. That, but, that, that's um, why I said collecting winning lottery tickets. Eight is it? Yeah, uh, I th- there. I'm not sure the seven or eight to be honest. Right. But uh, you know, it's a, it's it's a it's a it's a good old uh, run now. In fairness, you know. So so um, you know who it is. I'm not asking you to name. Yeah, them. Yeah. No, them. no, but, no. But no. Are they, well, lo- are they local, it's, it's Fergus? With 64 people in us, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's sending. Ooh, it's a sending. Yeah. Half a million has worked that yeah. out. Half a million. Dude, can you Fergus? Can you do that in your head for a second? Half a million. I, I, I did it in the calculator, PJ. I wasn't going to do it in my head at all. No. <laughs> Uh, 7,812 50 take it you take it to buy a nice <laughs> holiday for you this year absolutely well, is, no, the, is that the nice. biggest one you've ever had down there no 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 um, uh, we've uh, I think it was just shy of 5 million or something <sighs> I honestly don't know when I was uh, but uh that was and that that was one of the ones that about ten years later the person who won us kind of came into the shop and kind of uh, had a chat. Someone I knew for years, I knew at the time he won us, but there was nothing said. And you know, like mm. I haven't passed it on to anybody since then. You know, like, of all the wins you've had, do most people come forward or don't they? No, about fifty-fifty. Right. About fifty-fifty, and look, I can understand that completely. And if they tell me, I'm not going to tell another soul. If it's out there, it's out there, and it, it seems this one is out there now. With sixty-four people, it's bound to be out there. Uh, do you know? Mm. So, uh, yeah. Are, are you the luckiest shop in Cork with all those wins? Uh, think? I think we might be one behind Pierce. Hickey's and Skibbereen at this stage. I'm not certain. I see. Said. A bit of a competition with East and That's West it. then. Yeah, so I think he has the big. He's the, the the most in Ireland. Uh, but I think Pierce, uh, poor Pierce, is dead now. I think is he? I don't know. But, um, but uh, I, I understand anyhow. But uh, so I don't know what the story is. All right, come here you to know. me. You you know you know this tractor that that Derek Burke has. Oh, did. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've, I've witnessed uh, some of, at least one of Derek's tractors anyhow. Uh, there when when Middleton flooded there around New Year uh, several years ago. Yes, uh, Derek. I, I remember him hoofing down the town to the rescue and out to help, kind of uh, you know, to, to to sort out the the mess that we were in. 
So him and other farmers, but I just particularly remember him. He was one of the first on the scene, fair play to him. Right. So I think the best place to go buy in your lottery ticket is probably McCarthy's in Middleton. Ah, yeah. sure, look, there's plenty of banter in the shop this morning. Anyway, I'd say. I tell and do you get a little slice of that, Fergus? We get a very small slice, so we do, yeah, we get a few grand, yeah. Yeah, it would, would, would give a good a good night out for the staff, like. Or yeah, well, we'll we look after the staff, all right. I know, yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> Fergus, thanks very much. 500 grand won on Euro Millions. We think that it is a syndicate, or Fergus thinks it's a syndicate. Maybe 60-something people are getting seven or eight. 9,000 each. Not huge money, but you wouldn't batter it away with a wet fish either, would you? Thank you, Fergus. 0818 96 96 96. I collect Christmas baubles, says Maria. D says stones and unusual rocks. We have to try to keep it under control. We'll come back to your collection, sir. I know there's lots of strange collections out there. Mine is mugs. I must dig some out and maybe put a picture I'll be slaughtered, like she'd kill me. But I must put out some of my most recent acquisitions, mugways. If they haven't been put in a skip, they may well have been. But I, have, I had at one point stuff from Eurovision and stuff from airlines and stuff from all over the world. So your strange collections, we'd like to hear about them. Uh, towards the end of the week, tomorrow's Thursday and Friday then, so we'll... Let me know. All right. That's it, I think, more or less for today. It is. Program edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you, as always, for joining the conversation. It starts again tomorrow, just after nine. In 23, we'll cut the cost of living for one loyal listener with the ultimate live free grand prize on Cork's 96 FM. Win a holiday. Free fuel. Supermarket shopping. Computers and electrical. Concert tickets. Fashion and beauty. Free food. And a credit union account with cash. Spending money. Money. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. For your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. To win. win. Live free in 23. With Cork Credit Unions. Here for you always. Out of money. Only on Cork's 96FM.